0: Earlier on today we did the chant we call the Reflection on Universal Well-Being and included in that chant we recollect the fact that we are the owners of our karma the owner of our karma heir to our karma born of our karma related to our karma, abide supported by our karma. Whatever karma we do, whether good or ill, we are the heirs of that. This reflection is helping us give give us a balanced attitude as we come to practice meditation and indeed all aspects of our life. We reflecting on the fact that we are responsible for what we experience in life as we go through life and experience happiness and suffering in different kinds of ways. This is all generated through karma through our own actions coming back to us. And often people have the doubt arise as we meditate, as they meditate can I get rid of my negative karma, my bad karma? <coughs> This reflection reminds us that we are the owners and inheritors of our karma In that it's just a natural law that we can come to understand through our meditation and have to accept it. What has gone is gone, what has happened has happened, good and bad. And it's affecting us all the time the way we think, our views and attitudes, the pleasant and unpleasant experiences that come back to us in life are generated through our previous karma, previous actions. And as we meditate, we see this. We meditate, and we're seeing the fruits of our karma arise all the time the different thoughts, emotions that arise as we try and meditate. We have the karma of our bodies, how our particular body feels at any one time. Our body may be strong and healthy or a bit weak or ill or achy, older or younger, male, female. These are all aspects of our karma that we start to observe as we meditate. Then the amount of agitation and restlessness in our mind is our karma as well. So this is a reflection to help us to look in the right direction where to practice and how to deal with this fact skillfully. Ajahn Chah used to compare, the human mind says like we have karma from the past and we're making karma now. It's like you have two trees or plants in your mind as if say in your garden. One tree is the good karma that you are making, the skillful karma that leads to your benefit and the benefit of others. It's like one tree. Then there's the negative karma that we have made and are making that leads to your own suffering and the suffering of others. But you have the choice which tree to water and look after. You don't have to keep watering and looking after the negative tree or negative karma tree. You can just ignore that and gradually it will wither and die and end. Whereas the tree of good karma, you can keep feeding it, nurturing it, looking after it, watering it and it will grow and this is what will bring you benefit and benefit to others. This is how we can end our negative karma in this way by putting our efforts into developing the positive karma, the good karma and abandoning and ignoring the old bad karma and those old habits and tendencies until they fade away from our mind. We can't change the past or just eradicate it, get rid of it. We have to uh, accept the past. Whatever's happened, has happened. But what we're doing with our hearts and minds right now as we practice, and this is our fresh karma, in the practice of dharma, Following the footsteps of the Buddha is all about developing the good karma and abandoning the unwholesome, unskillful karma. And that's how we can get ultimately beyond all karma, the complete liberation of mind from all attachment, all craving that generates all this karma. But to get to that point, we have to develop the good karma and abandon the unwholesome karma. So as we practice mindfulness here, right now, meditating, mindfulness, that quality of mind, of knowing in the present moment is very good, powerful, good karma. then reflecting on truth, contemplating, looking at truth until understanding and wisdom arises is very powerful, good karma. And this is how we want to be using our minds in meditation. But we have to have a balanced attitude and have the patience to keep dealing with the fact that we also have our negative karma negative habits, tendencies that come up we have to be patient enough to work through them until they gradually fade away the term the Buddha used for these negative tendencies and karmic tendencies that come up in meditation are what we call the five hindrances those things that block us from doing any good in life particularly meditation but you're going to do any good in your life there'll be obstacles and the most important obstacles are the self-generated obstacles mm-hmm. these five hindrances come up all the time mm-hmm. and as we meditate we can observe them arising and the first one is vichikicca, mm-hmm. doubt uncertainty about the practice it will be that quality that brings you to doubt even maybe whether you should be here at all Mm -hmm. should I be doing meditation or doubt about the technique should I use the breath or some other technique am I doing it right what will happen Those kind of unskillful states of mind, doubts that take us away from the thing we're trying to do, block or obstruct progress. By simply spinning the mind around, you might say, to the point where we just don't even get down to do the meditation, to apply the mind to the meditation object or to the contemplation. And that's the nature of doubt Doubt makes us get lost in our own thoughts and weakens our resolve to do good. So to meditate, you might have a doubt come up. Why am I doing this? So you stop. If you follow the doubt, you just stop. Get up, stop, or you just stop, stop turning your mind to the breath. Do other things because of that doubt. So the most important thing to do with doubt is, first of all, recognize it. I'm caught into doubt here, this is doubt and it's not helping me. It's making my mind more agitated, you can see that. And No doubt, recognize doubt for what it is. And then establishing mindfulness on your meditation object will help to remove doubt. As you place your awareness on the breath, say, well, you necessarily have to let go of your doubt to do that. You have to be willing to put aside the doubt, ignore it, not follow it, and just turn to the breath. So another quality that helps us to deal with doubt is quality of faith or confidence in the practice. The Buddha's word is sata. That quality that brings out very positive attitude to what you're doing based on having maybe heard teachings, listened and studied the teachings, met with teachers and fellow practitioners, to the point where one has a sense that this is the right thing to do, a good thing to do, even though it might be difficult, it's worth doing. So very valuable to mix with fellow practitioners and teachers, spend one's time with the teachers, to gain more confidence, more faith in the practice, so that one has this positive energy, willingness to put effort into the meditation. One has a sense of trust that others have done this and it's worked for them, therefore I can do it. So it's both trust in the Buddha and the teachers and then trust in your own potential to practice just like anyone else. As a human being you have your own potential, your own your own mind can be trained and developed in this practice. So bringing up faith in the practice is a very important kind of good karma. That's why they say going to a temple or monastery or a meditation center is a is a kind of good karma because you're exposing yourself to something very powerfully positive, getting a good input. Brings up faith. Hearing Dhamma is good karma. Listening to Dhamma and then remembering and thinking about the Dhamma that you've heard is good karma. Because it helps to dispel doubt and uncertainty, skepticism that might plague you as you're trying to meditate. Of course, the best antidote to doubt is. Actually doing the practice to the point where you see some result for yourself. Practicing meditation until you experience some peace and calm as the mind lets go of all the distractions, including the doubts. Until you know for yourself that this is peaceful, more peaceful than it was before you know this is good for you, you you know you have a sense of inner peace, contentment arising. And that memory and that awareness of that contentment, even though the contentment itself may disappear, at least you have the memory. And that helps to feed and support your faith to keep practicing. The second hindrance that will tend to bother us as we try to meditate like this is dullness, lethargy, drowsiness. And again, like doubt, you have to recognize this state of mind as it's arising for what it is. And particularly now, during the middle of the day, after a meal, Digesting your food, being up for a while. Maybe might be quite easy as you sit down here and your body and mind starts to settle down. You feel relaxed, easy to drift into dullness. Or you start dreaming and then find yourself falling asleep. So the antidote is to catch that, catch that mood, that feeling as it's coming. If you recognize the symptoms of it, say the early symptoms of dullness, as the mind maybe starts to lose awareness of the breath, slips into a dream state, or becomes a bit dull, can't think of anything at all, and then physically the posture, usually your posture starts to weaken and you become a little bit sort of slouchy. Recognizing that as it happens will help you to be alert to the danger of drowsiness and dullness, and you can put more effort into being mindful of the breath. Brighten your mind, maybe open your eyes for a few moments until your mind re-establishes awareness. Find ways to brighten the mind, wake yourself up, bring up mindfulness, point your mind to the breath. And sometimes that might be a bit of a struggle, but it's a very noble struggle, a worthy struggle. As much of our dullness and drowsiness and lethargy is just habit. When we don't have a lot of stimulation and excitement around us, then we tend to just go dull because we're so used to stimulation. Stimulation of technology, entertainment, conversation, activities that we do we're so used to this that when we come to do meditation it's so peaceful and such a subtle activity it seems almost like it's time just to go to sleep similar to night when we fall asleep we lie lie in our bed not doing very much and we drop off to sleep so you have to be mindful of the fact that we are meditating we are pointing the mind to the breath we are actually being active with our mind we're doing something we're being mindful you have to work at it but again like with doubt as you keep putting mindful attention on the breath you can see that dullness drowsiness is is another mental state which comes and goes according to conditions And if you don't allow those conditions to come up, then you won't get dull and drowsy. So if you keep alert, put effort into your posture, put attention on the breath, well, you're creating the conditions for mindfulness, wakefulness, concentration, not dullness. If you keep your mind turning to the Dhamma, contemplating, noticing the impermanence of your thoughts and the sensations, well, you're being active in that sense and you're not creating the conditions for dullness. And dullness can just fade away from you and you're back awake and alert. And you'll see during the course of meditation you might have periods where you feel dull but then you work through them and then you get beyond them and your mindfulness is established. And again, you gain your own faith in what you're doing, the good karma and the positive results of what you're doing. You see for yourself, you know for yourself. You know it can be done. It may not always be easy, but you can do it, and you know you can do it if you really try. The next hindrance is ill will aversion which again very common for the meditator ill will towards oneself towards other people comes up when we have memories of things or maybe we're just feeling some pain in our body we feel tired physically tired weak or maybe there's some pain in your back or your leg or somewhere and obviously pain, painful feeling in its nature is unpleasant. It's an unpleasant feeling. And then ill will is how we think about that feeling, what we do with that feeling in our minds. It's so very common for the meditator to settle down and then start feeling some unpleasant feeling and, and start to get caught into aversion or ill will because of it. We start maybe to feel a little disappointed that we've got pain or we just want to get rid of the pain so we're trying to get rid of it, force it away or we get upset with ourselves for having the pain, blame ourselves or someone else or blame somebody for making us tired if we feel tired or maybe it's other things like we might have Sounds that we hear and say oh why is this sound bothering me while I'm meditating the sound of other people or it might just be memories about other incidents in our life that bring up ill will as we meditate we remember something somebody said or did and we react to it so ill will has its conditions its causes things will prompt it But again, the practice is to recognize it for what it is. See the ill will as it's arising. No, this is ill will. Already that's half the battle won, the victory. Half the victory is just by seeing the state of mind of ill will arising, knowing it for what it is, becoming aware of it, And then recognizing it and turning back to the breath. Some people might get caught into ill will or aversion because they have ill will. They become angry because they're angry. Say, I shouldn't be angry, I should be meditating, I should be with the breath. And because they've got angry thoughts arising, they become more angry. But the skillful way to deal with ill will is to turn away from that which that way of thinking that thing that you're thinking of or directing your mind to that is generating the ill will. So say in the instance in, of pain in your body. One way to deal with the ill will that might be coming up because you feel some pain is to turn to the breath and just ignore the pain. Or if you hear a sound that's disturbing, you turn away from the sound and just go to the breath and ignore that sound, if you can do it. And often, if it's nothing too serious, it's very quite practical, quite possible to just ignore some of the causes of ill will and that mood of ill will we just ignore it, we turn away from it and don't think those thoughts anymore once we recognize what we're doing other times it's not possible the ill will is very strong the habit, the karmic habit is very strong so then we might have to work harder to let that ill will go you might have to bring up the reflection on metta, compassion, kindness, directed towards ourself or some other person. If it's a memory about ourselves and we're unhappy about ourselves with making mistakes or doing something wrong, we might have to forgive ourselves at that time. Memories of other people, we just forgive them so that we can let go of that ill will. Think of something more positive, maybe. If it's towards oneself, one is thinking of some of the positive aspects of one's life, the goodness of one's life, because we have many good things that are still there to be known in our lives what we've done and how our lives have been up until now. The very fact that we are a human being able to come and practice meditation in, indicates we have much, much. Good karma, supportive karma helping us. When we think of this, it helps to balance any negativity we have towards ourselves. And similarly to other people, to recognize that other people have their good side and the goodness of other people. We bring up this reflection to help direct the mind to something more positive, to let go of that ill will. If we've ever done this successfully, just like with doubt or sleepiness, then the act of recognising ill will, being mindful of it, letting it go, generally brings one's a sense of joy and relief in the mind that one has let go of that ill will and that negativity. One feels free just like when you've been ill and you got better. That freedom brings with it its own sense of contentment and happiness. You can see that ill will was just an impermanent state of mind. It's not the real you or some lasting self. Sometimes we say "I'm, I'm an angry person. My character is angry. But all anger, all ill will is a state of mind that arises and passes away. When we're fully mindful of that, we've observed it come up, but then we've observed it pass away. Then you gain some wisdom there for the future that sticks with you, that understanding. Yeah. All ill will is impermanent. It's impermanent, doesn't last, unenduring, it's not self. It's a state of mind, condition of mind. As one starts to drop whatever ill-will, negativity one's had, the, what comes up in its place is a sense of joy, contentment. So you're meditating and you're still caught into ill-will, just trying to be mindful of the breath. We find it a bit boring maybe. You know, ill-will can be very subtle, just dissatisfaction with what we're doing. We find it too boring to just watch the breath, You'll notice if you persist at that point where your mind's getting a little bored and wants to do something else and you just quietly p- push on with the meditation and don't give in to the mood of boredom at that time. Often as the mood fades away, you for- basically you forget that mood, ignore that mood and forget the mood, the breath can suddenly become very interesting, absorbing. They say when ill will drops away, then we start to become very content to be meditating within ourselves. We become very interested in the object of the meditation, the breath. Even if you still have some pain in your body that won't go away, you can bear with that pain much better because you're starting to be more content. You're separating between the painful feeling may be, if you have it, and what your mind thinks about it. Your mind is no longer caught into an aversion or anger because of the pain. The, the mind becomes more content as it turns to the breath. And one can just know the pain as pain. If you've ever had that experience, you'll know that you can quite happily sit with even what would normally seem very strong, uncomfortable pain especially pain that you have no choice but to have to be with, can't get rid of it. Meditation can help you deal with it very well by becoming very tolerant towards your own pain. Using the breath as your meditation object. You let go of the ill will and your mind becomes very peaceful with the breath and you just see, know the pain for what it is. Just say, there's this pain there but I'll accept it for what it is. I won't fight it, resist it, hate it. This is the arising of what we call pity, rapture, meditation. As ill will, negativity and irritation fades the mind becomes very content to be meditating, very interested in the meditation. Sometimes this pity, this rapture, becomes very intense. So we feel like a whole body becomes very light. Sometimes how it feels like our hair stand on end. Sometimes we have tears. Sometimes we feel like even we're floating in mid-air and the feeling the heaviness of the body has all disappeared. Maybe it's just the feeling of the breath is all that's left. Pity can be in a way it can be distracting for, by itself just these new experiences of the mind becoming more joyful with the meditation as it lets go of anger. But one just keeps meditating and noting it feels like this even though it's a new experience one just notes it, lets it go and carry on meditating. And this joy, this pity will gradually become very firm in the mind as one keeps concentrating on the breath, letting go of all the other impermanent thoughts and feelings. And it gives a great evenness to one's mood. The mood of the mind as it's concentrating on the, on the breath becomes very even. This is what we call happiness, the happiness of meditation and this counters the basic agitation and restlessness of the mind the fourth of the hindrances to meditation we all experience a restless mind from time to time restless because we have thoughts about the past particularly things that didn't go well in the past Problems, mistakes in the past. Sometimes it's things we should have done that we didn't. Some unfinished business that we've got in the back of our mind and we keep thinking about it. Or sometimes it's restlessness about the future. Just endlessly planning about the future, worrying about the future, thinking about it. So this also, like all the other hindrances, we have to learn to recognize it when it comes up. If it's thoughts about the future, we have to know that we cannot predict the future completely and work out everything that will happen. It never happens like we were planning anyway. It's always different because the future is unknown we might have to recognize ourselves being restless, agitated about the future recognize that and tell ourselves just to let it go because we can't really know the future restlessness about the past we have to know that as well we can't change the past we can't undo the past all we can do is make our determination to learn from the past the good we did we learn from that try to do more of it the mistakes, the bad things we try to avoid them in the future one recognizes restlessness and agitation for what it is and see how it's a hindrance and as one lets it go well then the mind starts to experience the happiness this contentment and the happiness of a peaceful mind as it settles down on just one thing the breath not thinking many things, not darting around, getting very tired or worked up. We're just settling down, awake, energetic, focused on the breath itself, peaceful, content. This is what we call sukha. When I have sukha wait and a pleasant feeling arise, maybe at this point, maybe those pains in the body might just disappear altogether temporarily. And the mind and body become very peaceful, content. And the mind becomes very one-pointed on the breath. But still there's one other hindrance that can bother us as we practice and that's the one of sensual desire. Of course these hindrances come up at any time not just one after another or in a particular order. But the most difficult hindrance to let go of essential desire the desire for different kinds of sense objects so it's that concern and thinking about sights sounds taste, smell touch and then just ideas concepts based on previous sense contact that come up in the mind itself even if you're meditating quietly on your own you can't hear anything, can't feel anything you're not looking at anything you can still have a memory of past sense contact come up you can remember things you've seen that you liked or disliked things you heard that you liked or didn't like things you tasted, smelled, touched that you liked, didn't like and it will distract you The mind becomes caught up in those thoughts about those objects. The ones we like, we tend to become fascinated with. Memories and imagination based on sense contacts, sense objects. Just something very simple like food. You can spend a whole hour just thinking about food, different kinds of food, food you like. Remembering the colors, the shape, the smell, the taste, and so on. Taking you away from the meditation. Ultimately, the only way to get beyond sense desire and the kind of craving that it brings up, the desires, the stimulation it brings up to the mind, the only way ultimately is to one point the mind, focus the mind on the object, in this case the breath. To the point where the breath is so peaceful, so satisfying, one becomes so interested and absorbed in the breath that all the other sense objects become of lesser importance to the mind. We can see that they are more temporary in the pleasure they give. You know, the best kind of pleasure, pleasurable experiences you can think of if your mind becomes really one pointed on the breath at that time everything else will seem secondary less important less satisfying more fleeting more temporary In the peace of a peaceful mind focused on the breathing one pointed not distracted by sight, sound, taste, smell, touch that kind of happiness is very, very deep, long lasting and you won't forget it either. The Buddha compared it to the refreshing feeling that comes, say, with water, say when you have rain after a long dry period and everywhere is dusty and hot. That refreshing feeling that comes with rain is like the refreshing feeling of Samadhi of a one-pointed mind where your mind has let go of everything else all the other concerns about sights and sounds, memories and imaginations and plans all drop away and the mind just comes one-pointed on its object very content, satisfied if you experience that you might be able to sit quite happily for a long, long time even for many hours, because the mind is peaceful within itself, becomes very bright, awake, not distracted, not concerned about other things. So sometimes when one's very peaceful in meditation, one doesn't feel hungry anymore. doesn't feel itchy or painful in the legs. One isn't disturbed about thoughts about the future and the past. Just very content to be from moment to moment with the breath as one's meditating. One might only experience that for a few minutes and then the mind withdraws because of the power of our past karma, our karmic conditioning, the mind does become peaceful and content like that for a while but then withdraws out of that state of brightness and awareness and we start to think again, start to have different moods. Maybe if it's the end of the meditation you get up and you start doing other activities. But if you have experienced one-pointedness, well, that sense of peace and the mindfulness you've generated, it's such good karma, such powerful good karma. It doesn't just disappear straight away. It stays with you. This is where we have to contemplate. As we become peaceful, we have to maintain our mindfulness at that point. If you finish your meditation don't let the mindfulness finish. Carry on practicing mindfulness as you get up and go and walk or you go and do some other activity. You want to try and keep the mindfulness, maintain that. and You'll start to notice how impermanent all the different sense objects are and the thoughts and the feelings, the emotions are, how they come and go. The more one-pointed your mind is, the more peaceful it is with mindfulness. The more clearly you will see the impermanent nature of this body and the mind, the thoughts, the feelings we have. All the experiences we have as human beings, you'll see the impermanent, changeable nature of them. And this is where wisdom will arise. Sense of what the Buddha called dispassion. The opposite of passion. Passion is where we get very passionate about things but often very caught up and attached to things, very confused and often brings us pain in the long run because of our attachment. This passion is where we have a clarity based on mindfulness and clear seeing of the true nature of phenomena, meaning physical phenomena, mental phenomena, body and mind. Clearly seeing their true nature brings a sense of dispassion, meaning the mind detaches a little bit, becomes a little bit quieter, a little bit less attached, and therefore less confused, has less pain and suffering in it. As we practice meditation, if we do it regularly and we experience more of this peace and mindfulness, then you come to look at the world in a different light come to look at the world more like the Buddha did. And the Buddha saw that the world is an impermanent place. All the possessions we have are impermanent. They don't last forever. The trees and the mountains, the things around us don't last forever. And we cannot own them. We cannot really own them forever and say these are really ours because they're impermanent. And as you draw this contemplation into your own experience, you see even your own moods and emotions are impermanent. They come and go. And this body that you have is impermanent. It's getting older every day. It's changing. It's affected by hunger and thirst and aches and pains and then getting older every day. One day we're going to have to let this body go it's not really ours to own and have forever. This is the kind of understanding that meditation gives us. As we see with mindfulness the impermanence of this body and mind gives rise to dispassion. Meaning a sense of peace, letting go. The opposite of clinging on, the opposite of attachment. And when the mind is letting go, then it's free, isn't it? It's free, so it feels peaceful. One's still awake and aware and still can function as a human being. One hasn't gone anywhere or nothing special has happened. It's just an understanding that helps one to deal with the reality of our life as human beings the mind is no longer caught so much into delusions and misunderstandings of truth so we have a few more minutes just left of this meditation period I'll, we can finish the next ten minutes in just quietly meditating till the sound of the bell and then there will be some walking meditation